Welcome to Life in the Balance. I'm Aaron Hinkin. Remember the last time you had to get ready for a job interview? Stressful, right? How long did you spend in front of the mirror trying to figure out what to wear? Tough dilemma. But that dilemma actually presupposes that you've got options in your closet to choose from. The stakes are high when it comes to interviews, especially with a job seeker who's trying to get out of a rut of long-term unemployment. And the details matter. Whether we like to admit it or not, clothes send messages. They can either sow doubt or confidence in the wearer and everyone else in the room. Today on the program, we're going to learn about Suited to Succeed, a Baltimore nonprofit whose mission is to dress job seekers, specifically women job seekers, for success in the workplace. Later this hour, we'll talk with the Mayor's Office of Employment Development about big picture issues surrounding unemployment in our city. But first, I want to introduce you to a woman who we're going to be calling Diane. Diane has recently been hired at a job where she would rather not openly share the ups and downs of her life with her new co-workers. But as you're going to hear, Diane has chosen to be incredibly honest about her story with us. Grew up in Baltimore City where I began singing in bands. I actually met Muhammad Ali down at the Civic Center and he kissed me. <laughs> uh, that's also how I met my husband. So I got married very young. I was only 19. And by the time I was 20, I had a son and a whole family. And um, it was a whole new life from what I had had growing up. My husband and I, we stayed together for seven years. So my son was used to a certain type of lifestyle. We were like middle class. So he was used to private schools. Um, cars. We both had cars and he had a good job and I was then working at a very major hotel that catered to ball players when they came into town. So I was always around people that were influential, I guess you could say. When we broke up, my lifestyle completely changed because I didn't I no longer had my husband's income. And so that was a hard blow. Rewind and tell me uh, about that about that first job that you had, that hotel job. Um, I'm going to ask you more about job interviews, obviously, and the importance of uh, feeling good about yourself when you go to a job interview. Tell me about that first job interview for your first big job that you had. Different managers from different hotels, they came in, and they had each of us introduce ourselves and let them know what it was that we were interested in doing. And when I introduced myself... I said I wanted to be a CBX operator. So you know how long ago that's been, right? For people for people who are younger, explain what a CBX operator is. A communications operator. Um, the lady on the other end of the phone, an operator. And that's what I wanted to do. And I remember the lady, she called my instructor and she asked would I be willing to do my internship there. And I said yes, and when my internship was over, they gave me the job. They, um, She really liked my voice, and so that's what got me that initial spot. You say you kind of ended up uh, stuck. You ended up kind of in a hole. Talk about um, sort of, you know, where that spiral took you and the point at which you, you sort of turned a corner. The hardest part of all of this is that it was my husband who first gave me drugs. 
I didn't know anything about it, nothing at all. And so that was a very bitter pill to swallow about that. I was the kind of wife that stayed home. My husband was the kind of man that went to the clubs. He was a GQ man. Stay out late at night, but he came home every night still. I didn't know anything about that stuff and until I was introduced to it by him. Was there a point when you, you kind of realized, I need to get organized, I need to turn a corner here, I need to I need to sort of undo what I've done? Yes, of course I did. But you're talking about the early 90s, okay? And back then, you didn't have advertisements on TV saying, come to this place, you can get help, we can help you with your drug addiction. It wasn't a lot of... Uh, information out there about Narcotics Anonymous and, you know, getting yourself together and stuff. So I ended up staying out there for a very long time. I had gotten into some trouble, and so I was incarcerated, and I knew I needed to change my life. So while incarcerated, I reached out to some nonprofit organizations that helped women who had issues like mine. One of the organizations was the Marion House. It was run by a woman, I hope you don't mind me saying her name, Sister Augusta. She was a wonderful woman and she did a lot for the women that came through that program. I wrote a heartfelt letter and she accepted me into her program. And it started a new journey, a new process, but at the same time, I saw all the mountains that I had to climb in order to regain my life and I punked out simply put I went back out and I used again and when I went back out and used I stayed back out there for like 8 more years so I spent a total of 20 years of my life in active addiction Um, through that process I ended up back at the Marion house I wanted to complete it this time successfully and I did. And that's how I was introduced to Suited to Succeed, which is it's been about 18 years ago now. Um, and when I first came to Suited to Succeed, uh, I went into this boutique that was located downtown. I never knew it was there. And it had all these really, really nice things inside. And I got to shop. And once I selected all of the things that I wanted, I took them to the register and, well, to the checkout counter because there wasn't a register. And they were all mine for free. I was really, really impressed because the clothes not only nice enough for job interviews and for going back to work, they were good enough for church. Very nice things. Um, And I was so impressed with what they had given me. And, and I didn't just get one visit. I had a couple of visits. I got to go to and shop. So I began volunteering throughout the years at that organization. And it was more than 10, 10 years I had been volunteering off and on. I ended up working at Suited to Succeed. But beyond that, even with my past, these ladies embraced me. They trusted me and they gave me responsibility 
as far as running the boutique, I was promoted several times and uh, pay increases and more responsibility with each promotion. I truly believe in my heart in the organization because it helps so many women. I remember back when I was first introduced to that organization, they had a couple of workshops where I learned basic interview skills. I still use them today. Um, they also had a person come in about makeup. And I just found that to be very helpful for the job interviews that I was about to go on. Tell me, help me understand how you first came into the fold of Suited to Succeed. It was as a, it was a, like as a client, as, as someone client. looking for clothes, right? Like what were you, you were looking for clothes for, for work, for church? Well, I wanted something that was good enough to wear to church, but professional enough to wear to work. Okay, and I remember this one outfit that I got here. I'll never forget it. It was a like a bronze color. It was it was a pretty color and it was a, a odd color. And it it came down to it was a long skirt back then when I was here. Maxi skirts was out if anyone remembers and it was pleated and then it had the sweater that matched that came like midway to your knees not below but above and it was long sleeve and um you could accessorize it with a nice necklace a pair of earrings and a cute pair of pumps not too high and not flats but it was perfect for a job interview especially if you if you think of um, if you're going to take your resume with you, you're going to want a larger purse so that you can put it in your purse and it doesn't get wrinkled. And then um, I could wear it to church as well. Yeah, so it was great. So you were here getting some outfits, mm-hmm. and like the the uh, the idea of this place must have really resonated with you, yeah? Because you started volunteering here. The quality of the clothes is what did that. <laughs> I'm telling you, they were great. <laughs> And um, the service was very attentive and kind, and they didn't look down on me, you know. They made me feel welcome, and, like, whatever I saw within reason that I liked, that I wanted, I could have. That meant a lot to me. You know, sometimes you can go to places, and they can make you feel like, you know, oh, here comes another one. But everybody deserves a second chance. And everybody deserves to be treated with kindness and dignity. Everyone, no matter who they are, where they come from. So, How, how are you feeling right now? How does it feel to, to share your story? It's hard work, I can tell. Yes, it is hard work. It's like, because some of the pain, it, it still hasn't healed. And so, it's like when I remember what I went through and what happened to me. I feel that that pain, just like it was yesterday almost, I don't think about it a lot. I accept it. It's still painful. I have regrets, a whole bunch of them. The biggest one is for 20 years I was stuck on stupid. 
you know, and lying to myself. And the drugs enabled me to lie to myself and tell me I was tough. I was the biggest punk out there. Anybody that uses drugs is going to lose. You know, you may start off doing it recreational. Oh, I got it under control. My mind is much more stronger than this. That's crap. You're lying to yourself. That's how it always starts, recreational. So that's my biggest regret. My life would have been so much different. It's painful to tell this story, but it's obviously also important to you. I mean, what's what makes it worth going through the pain of telling this story? To help spare just one person, you know, from experiencing what I did. You don't have to, you know. Life is tough. It really is. It's not easy. But drugs makes it five times tougher. And it's nothing that you can feel that others haven't felt and got through it without drugs. I don't know. It takes a certain kind of person. I, I don't know if it's a weakness or or what to just completely surrender to a chemical, you know. It's mind-altering. It's emotionally altering. It just takes everything from you. No matter how much you love it, drugs will take it from you. Yeah, it'll take it from you. I want to talk to you again about, I don't know, I'm bouncing around a little bit. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about clothes. Uh, I want to I talk to you clothes. about... <laughs> I got a bag full of clothes I just bought from Seated. <laughs> Some people might say, you know, this this is uh, maybe, you know, why, why so much fuss and bother about clothes? Isn't that just kind of a superficial sort of side thing? Talk to me. Talk about just just make the case for me again about um, what it can do for someone to be able to put on professional attire and look at themselves in the mirror before they go to a new job and know that they look right and correct and that they're going to fit in and look good? Well, that's the most important thing because people are superficial. So it's very important that you have on something. You don't have to be the best dressed person there. But as long as you feel good about what you're wearing, you're going to be assertive and you're going to be confident and you're going to get that job because you're going to say things and and act in a way that if you were not dressed properly you wouldn't feel confident okay You, you wouldn't feel as confident without the right clothing you really wouldn't because you you would worry at least I know I would worry uh about the hole in my sweater or I don't have stockings on, or how about I have on green pants and um, whatever color don't go with a green shirt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just Don't ask me. It doesn't, it doesn't match. And, but it's the best I have for right now, and I want to get a job. But And without, without the right clothing, you, like I said, you just don't feel confident. So that's that's very important. Let me ask you to give a few words of wisdom and inspiration to uh, a woman who might be hearing this radio program 
and who might be getting ready for a big job interview herself. Uh, what do you want her to remember when she walks into that room? Believe in yourself. Uh, be assertive. Be confident. Don't forget to smile. And don't forget to firmly shake the, the interviewer's hand when you first enter the room. Uh, most importantly, before you go on your interview, I would say pray. Because God is good all the time. And that's what I always do. You're tuned to Life in the Balance. I'm Aaron Hinkin. We've been listening to Diane, a woman whose story is one of many in the city of Baltimore, where the unemployment rate tops 5%. We heard Diane speak about the role that Suited to Succeed played in her career jumpstart. And after the break, we're going to learn more about how that organization operates, who it helps, what it does, and how it works to help job seekers put their best foot forward. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Aaron Hinkin. Welcome back to Life in the Balance. In the last segment of our program, we met a woman named Diane, a woman who's overcome some mighty personal struggles uh, in order to finally get to a place where she's stable, employed, and generally at peace. Hers is a success story that would not have been possible without the support of uh, a number of local nonprofits and community organizations, one of which we're going to learn more about right now, Suited to Succeed, Dressed for Success, Greater Baltimore is uh, the long name of the organization. I'd like to welcome to the show Meredith Spear, Suited to Succeed's board treasurer. Meredith, thanks for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. We uh, we heard uh, uh, we heard a bit about Suited to Succeed from uh, Diane. Let me have you zoom out, give our listeners an overview of uh, what you all do uh, as an organization, what services you offer, and and how you make that happen. Sure. Uh, Suited to Succeed is a registered Baltimore 501c3, longstanding. We've been in Baltimore for 21 years. And our main goal is to empower women to achieve economic independence. And our main focus is by providing free professional attire. Uh, We basically build a wardrobe. It's not just one suit, but we want to outfit their closet. So that's the the short of it. Um, We, in addition, have spontaneous workshops based on what client needs may be. They could be financial workshops, uh, how to dress workshops, resume building workshops. And so that's uh, basically what our nonprofit does. We visited Diane at your uh, boutique uh, down on Light Street. Correct. Uh, Paint a picture with words of that place. It's a cool space. You walk in and it looks like a department store. Yes, we try to make it very inviting. Uh, We have multiple racks set up with items on them separated by what clients may be looking for, dressing rooms. Uh, We have a staff that helps us work with the clients. Um, Volunteers occasionally come in and be personal stylists, which is um, something we're also looking for if anybody out there wants to do that. And that really helps people put a focus on appropriate attire. And I think Diane hit on that a little bit in her segment, Um, just the professional look that a lot of women come in and don't understand how to put pieces together or or what might be appropriate. We did hear Diane talk about uh, just how important clothes can be when it comes to like confidence and self-esteem. 
Um, in your experience, like, just talk about what changes can happen internally when a person, you know, suits up and puts on a professional outfit to wear to a job interview. Uh, there's an immediate confidence boost, I believe. You look put together. I think it's called the power suit for a reason. You feel more powerful. And so you'll walk somewhere, anywhere, interview or even down the street, a little bit taller and feeling a little bit more bright that day. And I think that's what Suited to Succeed tries to hit on by providing this professional attire to our clients. You mentioned your services go beyond clothing. Uh, you also offer like job interview training. Um, talk about the skills you want your clients to have when they sit down in that office for an interview. Well, I think one is um, eye contact is a very important one. Uh, paying attention to what the interviewer is asking you and being engaged. Uh, and I think beyond that, uh, before they even get there, the preparation of having a proper resume built. And we work with clients on that. And we can touch on it maybe a little bit more in the segment. Our Dress for Success Greater Baltimore will bring more of those services to our program. So it's resume building. A mock interviews to help you kind of initiate that conversation and ask engaging questions and come prepared to the interview that you're going for. With the women that you work with, talk about um, sort of where they're at psychologically when it comes to getting over that hurdle of doing a job interview. I mean, some women have maybe been unemployed for quite a while, and this is a pretty daunting thing. Absolutely. And I think we we see the spectrum of women that come through. Some are just starting out on their career paths, and some have been down this road and have had failures and successes. And so it's, we we see them all. Um, some people have a little bit more confidence and they're ready to go for that job, and then other people are more timid and need a little bit of coaching uh, to feel more prepared. It's a pretty big variety of women that come through then uh, using your services at different ages, different uh, stories, different backgrounds. Correct. Yeah, yeah. We, um, we start at 18, so adults. Uh, occasionally we'll see um, high school students if, they, uh, if, if an advisor approaches us because they have a student that has an internship possibility. Um, we have partnered with colleges as well. And then all the way up to women in their 60s that are still trying to, you know, look for employment and be independent. How do you make this work? Where does the funding come from? Where do the clothes come from? Clothing is everything that we have in that shop and um, in our boutique downstairs, which I'll hit on, uh, is donation-based 100%. Suited to Succeed is fortunate to never have purchased clothing before, and we have some very special donors who are reoccurring donors, and then just um, word of mouth through the public. And Dress for Success Greater Baltimore has definitely increased our donation pool, which is wonderful. Um, that being said, we always need smaller and plus sizes, which are the majority of the women that come and see us need a 12 and above. And so those um, 12, 14, 16, 20 plus is what we really need. So that clothing is 100% donated. And financially, we have another project under Suited to Succeed called the Suited Boutique, which is a retail boutique on the first floor of our building where we sell some items that might not be a interview appropriate or maybe higher end. And that covers probably 70% of our operating budget. Wow. It's the reason why we're still here year after year. You have uh, pretty sharp stuff up there. I mean, uh, lots of pinstripe, lots of power suits. 
Um, is, is there are there particular style guidelines that uh, you're looking uh, to, to share with donors? For our clients, we like to stick to the basics. So the black power suit or uh, natural colors or a navy blue, we really need some basic uh, collared shirts. And then because clients are not just getting that first interview suit, we're building a wardrobe, we do collect all kinds of professional attire. So cardigans and um, sleeveless tops to go underneath, casual slacks for after job placement. It's a wide range. Yeah, because, I mean, if all goes well and the interview goes well, you're going to need outfits for the actual job. And explain, um, women are able to come back uh, like on the regular or a number of times to shop. Yes, yeah, so we partner with referral agencies around Baltimore, and that partnership includes at least three visits per client per year. And so it's each time they come, they're getting multiple outfits. It's not just one outfit each time. So again, emphasis on the wardrobe, because we want to remove that financial obstacle of having to go out and purchase expensive professional attire on their own. And let me ask you to talk about the variety of jobs that... Um, that your clients are applying for, for. Does it vary? Yes. Um, a lot of... You're not, you're not giving construction <laughs> hats out and stuff. No. This is office attire. It is office attire. We do have some people that are going for interview in the medical field, and occasionally we do get scrub uh, donations. A lot of people for housekeeper work or for clerical work. Um, a lot of people in the food service industry. So once they have placement there, they might be limited to kind of a black and white attire. So that's also a high demand item for donation. How long have you been involved with Suited for? How long have you been involved with Suited to Succeed? I actually started as a staff member when I moved to Baltimore in 2012. I was kind of their office manager and slash um, executive director because I didn't have one. And then I left the organization and was invited back to be a board member in 2014. During the time you've spent with that organization, like, what do you think is the most eye-opening thing you've learned about your clientele, like what they're up against and what they're determined to accomplish? I think that I've learned that there's a strong determination with a lot of the women that come through our program and a number of programs that are available throughout Baltimore, um, that they are willing to put in the work and are very grateful for the services that are available to them and want to have steady income to become more in economically independent. They want that security. And I think that uh, I've seen so many um, success stories, Diane is one of them, that it just uh, it makes you want to do more. Your organization uh, provides services for women specifically. Um, there are other organizations that do this service for men. Talk about um, your clientele, specifically women, and, and what's particularly important about uh, Suited to Succeed in terms of women in the workplace. So, yeah, there, there are other services that provide for men, and I think that's common through a lot of cities. And I think we need to encourage women being out in the workforce, and I think this makes this organization really special. There are not a lot of clothing closets of our scale in Baltimore, or greater Baltimore, that have been around for 21 years giving away 10,000 articles of clothing each year to our clients. And 
68% of our clients are mothers, and I think that's really important to get them back on the path of self-sufficiency. And so this program is, is really special and not unique to Baltimore. Many cities have this because, like I said, Dress for Success is in 150 cities, and that just shows the importance of these kind of programs. If folks want to be in touch with you, donate their time or their clothing, um, how do they get in touch? Sure. So I will suggest that people reach out to our new project, which is Dress for Success Greater Baltimore. And so you can look us up online. Our website is greaterbaltimore.dressforsuccess.org or by email, which is greaterbaltimore at dressforsuccess.org. And if I, I may just say what... Um, this project is doing for Suited to Succeed is uh, Dress for Success is a global brand, which is in 30 countries and over 150 cities. So it's a, it's a huge recognition for us um, to be able to be their newest affiliate in Baltimore. And part of what this will bring is we will continue to do the professional attire for free, but we're also adding a permanent career center, which will have resume workshops and mock interviews and coaching. And then we're also starting a professional women's group, which will be held monthly. And that gives the opportunity for our clients to mingle and meet and socialize with professional women who have their own success stories and and kind of bring a little bit of hope to them that, you know, I can aspire to be like this. Is there anything you wanted to mention that I neglected to ask you about? I think that I would just want to encourage um, people to to look us up, to uh, contact us if they have any questions. We definitely are always in need of volunteers. I might have mentioned that we need personal stylist volunteers, and I would love to have a pool of volunteers, and financial contributions are always welcomed. Meredith Spear of Suited to Succeed under the umbrella of Dress for Success. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you for having me. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Life in the Balance. I'm Aaron Hinkin. When we get back from the break, we're going to be joined by the director of the Mayor's Office of Employment Development to talk about some of the big picture issues surrounding unemployment in our city. Stay with us. I'm Aaron Hinkin. Welcome back to Life in the Balance. Earlier this hour, we met Diane. She is a client turned employee turned stalwart supporter of Baltimore's Suited to Succeed. That's an organization that prepares women to put their best foot forward in job interviews and new workplace environments. We've heard about some of the reasons people find themselves unemployed. We've also heard about just what an uphill climb it can be to get back into a stable career after a long-term stretch of unemployment. We're going to widen our lens a bit now and take a look at the current employment and unemployment landscape in Baltimore City. And here to give us that big-picture perspective is Jason Perkins Cohen. He is director of the Mayor's Office of Employment Development. Jason, thanks for being here. Great to be here. So your mission is embedded right there in the title of your department, Mayor's Office of Employment Development. Talk to me about... um, what you're doing these days to achieve that goal of employment development. Sure. So uh, we are, of course, part of government, and we have uh, centers distributed across the city, uh, and we will help anyone and everyone. So people come into our centers. Uh, some uh, Very often they don't have a job. Uh, in some cases they've been out of the labor force for a long time. In some cases uh, very, very recent. Um, in some cases it's that they may already be employed, but they want to 
uh, move up and they are looking for a career change or just a different job, we'll help them in any way we can. So basically, these are offices full of career counselors. Uh, exactly. We have career counselors. We have job developers. We have case managers. Um, and, you know, uh, we have staff who are very experienced. And uh, we understand that it's not always sometimes it's uh, how you doing. Let's get right to the job. But in a lot of cases, uh, there's other things that um, need to be worked on, uh, whether it's immediately to help the person move into employment or something to work on as they move forward in their process. You can't do this job without being plugged into the labor workforce. The I mean, I imagine you probably have uh, information beyond the basic classifieds when it comes to helping. Talk about your partnerships, who you work with, how you connect people with jobs. Uh, well, I'm glad you asked because we talk about building a workforce system that works. And we're the public workforce system, but we are well aware that we're not the only piece of the workforce system, and we're not going to be able to do it ourselves. In fact, we don't do, for example, when you talk about job training, we don't do that ourselves. We work with partners. So Baltimore is really rich in having organizations, often nonprofit organizations, faith-based institutions, and others that uh, the community really values and we really value, and they are our partners. And so whether it means that they've gone to them first and they've formed a relationship, and we're going to just uh, provide the job development piece. Or they come to our, us first, and we, we farm them out uh, to the appropriate community-based organization um, to provide more neighborhood-based services or support services that the resident needs, we're, as long as it works. We're not, we don't need to, we're not interested in who gets the credit. We need to work as a team to address Baltimore's issues. Just how busy are you? To what extent do you have your work cut out for you? Like, what's, Talk to me about some numbers. What are, what, what's the unemployment rate in Baltimore right now? So uh, the good news on the unemployment rate in Baltimore is the official rate is around 5.3%, right? And so historically, that's very low. It's as low as it's been in the last 10 years. And that's certainly, you know, you'd rather be uh, lower than anything else. The, the, the downside or the bad news with that is that no one really believes that the unemployment rate, uh, despite its name, is a real reflection of the number or percentage of people that are out of work. And, you know, if we work, walk out of your studio or out of my office, um, we certainly get the impression that there's there's a higher percentage that are under, out of work. And then, you know, if you're an individual yourself that's unemployed, you have a family member, a community member, you don't care what the percentages are. What you care is I need help and I need help today. Um, and we have to make the system work by working with our partners. Who are the folks that have the hardest time finding jobs? Is it people without an education? Is it people with a criminal record? Is it people with addiction in their past? Everyone's got a different story. Yes. The answer to your question is yes. And the reality is, you know, most people have a mix of things that are uh, that are uh, obstacles. Um, and in some cases, it's all of the above that you just mentioned. In some cases, it's, it's a different mix altogether. Uh, but the reality is, again, you know, we have to be able, these are not surprises to us, right, or to the community organizations that we work with, that people would come in that don't have a that, that they don't have a high school diploma or a GD, or someone comes in with a criminal background. We've all seen the mix before, and the reality is that most people who come to us are in some level of crisis. I mean, anyone who's unemployed for any length of time is either in crisis or heading toward crisis, and we all have to have a sense of urgency, which means that the kinds of challenges that you brought up and others that we could talk about and we have we have to do it really, really fast to get them right attached to the labor force as quickly as we can, both so that they can pay their bills uh, and keep a roof over their head, but also all the evidence tells us about the longer that you're unattached from the labor force, 
the more uh, the more you head into a spiral that is harder to get out of. And I imagine the bigger that psychological hurdle gets about the idea of walking into a job interview. And we've heard Diane's story earlier in this program. We've heard from Suited to Succeed about just sort of psychologically what you need to do to prepare yourself to enter the workforce. I mean, job skills are one thing, but just sort of wrapping your mind around redefining yourself is a much bigger project, isn't it? It completely is. And so there's the transactional things about, like, I need a bus pass or I need something else that we can, you know, sort of slide across the table and help someone and those are really important transactions. I don't want to minimize them. But there's also the things that are not transactional, that could be psychological, that could be you just lost some confidence. Uh, confidence. You got laid off from your job through no fault of your own, but you're not feeling good about it. And again, there's a lot of research that talks about any of us. It doesn't matter what your education level is. It doesn't matter how long you've been in the labor force. When you lose your job... Uh, and you've been unemployed for a bit of time, you know, uh, there's things you got to get over. And so part of what we do in our office and with our partners is that coaching. Uh, it's sort of uh, harder to put your fingers on, but it's really important to, to work with people. And it's not just about saying, here's a job opportunity, go get it. It's about getting them truly ready. Demographically, talk to me about the age of uh, most of the folks that come in. Does it vary? It really does. So we get the full uh, gamut from uh, we actually have services that are for uh, as young as 18, um, but we certainly don't turn anybody away. So we will get people in their 50s and 60s um, who need to work um, and we will help anyone. Um, we have specialized uh, individuals who are more accustomed to dealing with younger uh, younger people, but that's um, a youth works program, right? Well, youth works is really the summer employment program. Oh, okay. But then we have youth opportunity centers uh, that are uh, serving young adults from 18 to 24. Um, but again, if you don't go to a youth opportunity center, sometimes we call them yo centers. Um, you know, we will still provide you services. We might direct you for more intensive services at a yo center, but. We will help all comers, um, and again, we don't we don't do it by ourselves. Talk to me about this summer program, YouthWorks. YouthWorks is incredibly important, right? So um, the phrase is uh, uh, YouthWorks Summer Jobs Launches Careers, and it's really very much about that. So these are young adults. Uh, they go from ages 14 to 21. Um, and we, it's a great way to attach them to the labor force, to give them uh, exposure to different careers, uh, to get something on their resume, and to earn some money. Uh, and at the same time, uh, sort of something that's not often talked about is they also get two meals a day. Um, we give them a chance to open up their very first bank account. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's both important in terms of helping kids to see what they could be, or maybe even what they don't want to be, which is okay, too. Um, but it's also important to just keep them engaged, uh, both from even if you don't think of it as part of school, keeping them engaged in the summer uh, helps them do better in school as well. Yeah, you learn a lot from a first job. Uh, you, you're in a different you're in a structured environment. You have different rules to learn and abide by. I mean, that's something that it's really beneficial to get a taste of it at an early age. You know, some of us, we it's been a while since our teenage years, and you forget about how important it is to realize, like, I didn't realize what an office environment really meant until I was in an office environment. Uh, sometimes we talk about mentors, and we think of it as a formal process. And there, of course, are formal mentors uh, as part of other programs. But some of it is just uh, getting used to working with adults, uh, getting used to getting assignments and how to navigate that, all the things that... Um, we all have to learn at some point. Um, and the thing, interesting thing about summer jobs is 
you know, it's great talking to adults and asking them to remember on their first job. Everyone has a memory. Everyone always smiles. You're smiling across yeah. from me right now because it comes it comes right to your brain. You never forget it. It's a rite of passage. And we have to make sure it's a rite of passage for all of Baltimore. And that's what YouthWorks does. YouthWorks is one of the largest programs in the nation. We served over 8,500 young adults last year were offered a summer job. It's really important for Baltimore. I'm curious, you know, we had a recent episode um, that was focused on uh, adult literacy. Um, and we learned a lot about um, uh, what the GED can and can't do for you in terms of uh, finding work, um, how easy or hard it is to get a GED now versus in the past. Um, talk to me about those folks that come in and need more than um, a connection to a job listing. Talk about the, the services that you can provide or refer to or refer people to um, to get caught up educationally. Yeah, well, I'm really glad you raised that particular issue uh, because in Baltimore we have nearly 25. Excuse me, 20 percent of our adults that are 25 and older. So we're not talking about kids. Oh, they're in school and they'll get their diploma next year because they're 17. Nearly 20 percent of all adults in Baltimore don't have their high school diploma or GED. Wow. And what that and and what that means is they're shut out of a lot of jobs. When you look at the job listings, uh, wherever you find them, we can name the websites. Most of them have an educational credential requirement, uh, and that means if you don't have that piece of paper, um, you're shut out. You can't do it. And we've done the analysis, and it's not going to be surprising that, um, particularly the good jobs, right? Good defined as um, paying a good wage with a with a, a better wage uh, at the back end. So we have got to deal with that issue in Baltimore, and we really have to deal with it as a state. You know, Maryland is one of the wealthiest states in the nation, and yet as a state, we fund ed- uh, adult education at one of the lowest levels in the country. And there's there's no reason for it, and it is sort of one of those transactions that we talked about. I mean, our ability to help someone, whether, again, you're in the public sector or the nonprofit sector, is limited by that educational credential. So first of all, we have to make sure that people, young adults, aren't leaving school without a high school diploma. We have to sort of stop it at its source. But then for all of the adults that are already out there, we've got to get adult education services. So we can refer them to places, but there's not enough seats. We have to do more around funding of adult literacy. And we have to think about adult literacy differently because you know they're not kids, right? So we're not gonna have a, a classroom of 30 that we might remember from our high school is probably not the best way to teach an adult. And I, I talked about that urgency before. They don't have time uh, uh, to go to the tra- transitional model. We have to go, or traditional model. We have to really work with them to get them in the labor force as quickly as they can um, so that they can get attached and start earning some, some money. I wonder um, how your department's budget compares to, like, the police department's budget and, you know, what that might say about uh, priorities and... I guess the what the question I want to ask is how important is a job and stable employment to alleviating a lot of the other problems that may be going on in the city? Well, you're talking to an employment guy, so I'm obviously going to be biased and tell you it's everything. But really, if you think of just about any social challenge that any city has, it doesn't really matter where we're talking about and you talk about employment, it helps to alleviate. I don't want to make it sound like it's the only answer, but when you talk about homelessness and housing insecurity, food insecurity, uh, crime, you name the issue, 
a job helps to alleviate that. And so I, you know, certainly think, I mean, that's why I do this work. Um, the way it used to be is that the federal government used to provide a lot more resources for all of uh, every city in, across the country uh, through federal funding. But that federal funding has been cut. So we roughly have about 50 percent of the federal dollars that we have uh, compared to the year 2000. Wow. Um, and the problem isn't any less than it was. So uh, and much of that money, you know, we want to get out on the street. We want to we want to work with our partners. And when we have less or fewer federal dollars then we're able to fund less, it's it's a crisis. Before I let you go, if folks are listening right now and they're looking for a job or they know someone who is looking to get connected with employment, what do they do? Where do they go? How do they find you? So the best thing is to go to our website, which is OEDWorks.com. Uh, those are the letters OEDWorks.com. Uh, uh, and you can uh, see a listing of our centers. Uh, you can make yourself known. Again, we would love to work with you. Um, and if it's not us, we will certainly work with our partners. A lot of people have heard the expression, ban the box. Uh, talk about what that means and uh, sort of what the larger issue is behind that in terms of people with a criminal record and uh, being able to seek employment. Sure. So the phrase ban the box is really referring to the box on the typical job application that says, have you ever been convicted of a crime uh, in, in your application? And banning it means you remove that box from the initial job application, uh, which we have done in Baltimore. Um, it doesn't mean when the employers sometimes hear this, they get nervous. It doesn't mean that you can't ask it or check it at the last point of hire. It just gives the person an opportunity to get their resume seen. And if they're their most qualified applicant uh, based on their resume and other credentials, then they get in front of you uh, and then they get a chance to have the job interview and all the rest of it. But again, you still have an opportunity. And again, it's so important, um, not just in Baltimore, not just in Maryland, but everywhere, you know, the there's... Um, there's a data point that says that across the country, one in three adults in the U.S. have a criminal background. Wow. One in three. Uh, and that's not talking about Baltimore. So you would expect that cities like Baltimore would have a higher percentage. It's not asked on the census, so we don't really know for sure. Uh, but when that percentage of your population um, has that challenge, uh, you, can't, you, can't use it to, uh, uh, you, you can't use it to not consider such a huge chunk of your population. So we've got to remove it. And one of the things that people forget about is that in a state like Maryland, you can go online and get all kinds of information about people including uh, their criminal background, uh, that's A, not always accurate, uh, but B, often contains um, information about non-convictions. So we have to make sure, look, you've gone through a, a legal process and you weren't convicted. Surely that shouldn't be used against you when you're trying to get a job. And they can, it can last forever. And one last point, sorry, the, the, there's also research to show that um, the length of time since your uh, last interaction with the law uh, as time expires, you become sort of, quote unquote, less risky. So after the, the depends on the type of offense, but certainly after seven years, it's completely irrelevant. And yet uh, often these these questions didn't have a time limit. So you could be 45 years old and having to check a box about something that you uh, that happened to you when you're 18. I mean, at what point do we truly forgive? As the director of the mayor's office of employment development, you're working with job seekers. You're also working with the folks who have the job listings. Talk to me about your relationships with employers, um, how you're sort of cultivating them along with the applicants that you're seeking. Uh, great question. So 
you know, what's so important is, of course, we have residents in our centers and we're trying to help them. But at the end of the day, the end user is certainly the employer and we have to make matches in the middle. So the best kind of workforce development is when you talk to the employers, you get them to truly engage in the workforce system, you understand what the qualifications that they're looking for, and then you prepare workers for those jobs. If you're preparing workers for uh, a, a generalist job, it's much more difficult, uh, and it's much more difficult for them to know what they're aiming for. And so that's where you're, you're finding out what the employer's needs are, what certifications that they're looking for, what they consider to be job-ready, um, and then you're working with the population, the, the residents that are coming to your centers to meet those standards so that you can go to the employer and say, look, you told me you had a challenge filling this job. And we've done this program for you on our own or with partners. And now we've got 20 people that meet those qualifications, hire as many as you like. When you do it that way, you have a lot of success. Jason Perkins Cohen is director of the Mayor's Office of Employment Development. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. We're coming up on the end of the program, and as we get ready to wrap up, I want to give the last word to our featured guest, Diane, who we met in the first segment of the program. I want to tell you, not only is Diane an extremely resilient and inspiring person, she's also a very talented singer. We're going to let uh, Diane take us out today with a song. Ooh, got it away from you as fast as I can. You're too much for me, baby. You're more than my heart can stand. Like a kid behind the wheel, you've been reckless with my heart. And if I stay around, you'll surely tear it all apart. Say the road's got to end somewhere. Say every road has got to end somewhere. Now if it's time for the showdown, let me give you the lowdown. We've come to the end of our road. Life in the Balance is an original production of WYPR. The show airs at 1 p.m. and again at 9 p.m. on the first Wednesday of the month. Life in the Balance is produced and edited by Katie Marquette. You can listen to previous episodes online at wypr.org slash life in the balance. For 88.1 WYPR, your NPR news station, I'm Aaron Hinkin. Thanks for listening.